Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today we are discussing episode 18 of the Tang Dynasty drama, The Longest Day in Chang'an or Chang'an Shuarshichen. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or else email us at Kathy at chasingdramas.com. As always, this podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Additionally, we reference translations from what is provided online, and we may also include our own. This podcast episode will consist of an episode recap, discuss some history and culture, and close out with some book differences. So there are two main activities in today's drama. One is to rescue Zhang Xiaojing, who has been tied up at the Wright Cavalry's headquarters. And the other is to follow Li Bi. The time now is past 6 p.m. or sunset. Rescuing Zhang Xiaojing is quite the event. First things first, Yao Rongneng drops off Wen Zhan back at Jing An's jail where Yuan Zai and Wang Yunxiu were thrown in there last episode, and poor Chen Sen is still there asking for food because he hasn't eaten all day. But then, Yao Runong is told he has orders. Yao Runong in these few episodes, I personally find absolutely hilarious. When he first hears that Tan Qi is going to try to break Zhang Xiaojing out of prison, he's shocked at first, then puffs up and says that the Yao family has a backbone and then immediately tells Tan Qi that she shouldn't go. <laughs> but he relents and changes out of his red court robes into those of a servant to help guide the now beautifully dressed Tan Qi on horseback. I'll get more into this later. Tan Qi looks absolutely stunning in this outfit. Her hair, makeup, clothes, everything. But I call total BS on the fact that she was able to look this done up in such a short period of time. We will discuss more on that later. The plan is for Tan Qi to pretend to work for the Wright Chancellor. They will head over to the headquarters of the Wright Cavalry where Zhang Xiaojing is being held and extract him on behalf of the Wright Chancellor's orders. Yao Zhuneng doesn't think this plan will work, but Tan Qi presents an intricately carved jade pendant, which is a symbol of the right chancellor. That will help them get in, surely. So off they go. Tan Qi doesn't have much to lose, but we are reminded that Yao Zhuneng does. He is the sole male heir of the Yao family. If he's caught up on the chaos for today, it could spell disaster for him and his family name. However, I am impressed since Yao Runeng decides to take the step forward. Outside of the Wright Cavalry headquarters, Tan Qi has a silk cloth used to cover half of her face. In the book, she has more of a cap with a covering so that you can't see all of it. It gets removed later on in the book. In the drama, all they do is give her a cloth to cover half of her face. She and Yao Zhuneng are questioned by patrolling soldiers, but Tan Ji is able to answer with ease. At first, the soldiers note that no one of her name is listed to see General Zhao. The situation gets rather tense, but at this point, General Zhao, Zhao Tanjun, arrives to hear what the commotion is about. 
At this point, Tan Qi, with her face still covered, calmly presents the jade flower pendant. In an instant, Zhao Tanjun seizes up, recognizing that who this order must be from, the right chancellor himself. Zhao Tanjun promptly bows his respects, and all of the surrounding soldiers hurriedly do the same. I'm laughing over here because one of the soldiers in the back clearly was struggling to sheath his blade when Tan Qi had this jade pendant in her hand. If you go back to look, he's like, oh, I can't put this back in, and then quickly tries to uh, bow his respect. Well then, General Zhao brings Tan Qi and Yao Runeng over to see Zhang Xiaojing, but it's not entirely smooth sailing. General Zhao isn't an idiot, and despite being respectful to Tan Qi, has to play by the book. He raises the fact that there needs to be official documentation from General Gan to move someone as important as Zhang Xiaojing. Tan Qi tries to put on the pressure, but is rebuked. Her only option is to request just seeing Zhang Xiaojing. Inside the room where Zhang Xiaojing is tied up, Tan Qi steps in with Yao Runeng and General Zhao. And this is where I'm like, dude, Zhang Xiaojing, just lighten up, man. He's somewhat surprised to see them. And Tan Qi whispers to Zhang Xiaojing to take her hostage in a moment so that they can escape. But then Zhang Xiaojing responds, not in a whisper. What kind of plan is this? And I do not take women hostage. Well, I mean, this immediately prompts General Zhao to perk up and stand forward, being like, what's going on? He does have his hands on his sword. So it's like a do or die right now. Before anything, though, Yao Ruonong steps in and just knocks General Zhao out. And I'm like, wow, good for you. Tan Qi promptly cuts off the ropes tying Zhang Xiaojing, but she's pretty annoyed because now they don't know how else to escape. Zhang Xiaojing, on the other hand, just comments that her outfit looks quite nice. Aww. Well, the plan to escape is rather simple and not super sophisticated. Zhang Xiaojing and company set fire to the rooms and then takes General Zhao hostage to clear the path. They are able to make it out of the room, but then are met with Cui Qi of the Lu Benjun, who is there to stop Zhang Xiaojing. We'll see in the next episode how or if they manage to escape. While Tan Qi and Yao Runeng are going off on their prison break adventure, Li Bi is also undergoing an adventure of his own. In the prior episode, General Guo told Li Bi about how it was He Zhizheng who used his seal to end the investigation. And so Li Bi heads over to He Zhizheng's home in Yuan in order to discuss the case with him. At the entrance of the property, it is He Zhizheng's mentally slow son, He Fu, who greets Li Bi at the door. Li Bi does note that it is oddly quiet and empty. There's not enough soldiers to protect He Zhizheng's home. That should be changed. But He Fu doesn't really think much of it. You know, his actions show that he is mentally slow. And he actually suggests Li Bi take a pill because his father got sick on the way home. And this is to prevent Li Bi from falling ill as well. Li Bi investigates the pill and is able to smell certain ingredients in it, and believing that nothing is wrong with the pill, 
swallows it without a second thought, and enters the property. Except He Fu's eyes suddenly turn menacing. I'm not gonna lie, that was a very, uh, I would say, intense shift in gaze. Inside the property, though, Li Bi tries to make his case with He Zhizheng to return the seal of Jing Anzi. He informs Director He that there are still 300 barrels of petrol or bombs still in the city, and he needs Zhang Xiaojing to help save Chang'an. If possible, Director He should request that tonight's festivities be canceled in order to better protect Chang'an and the Emperor. Director He, though, does not agree with Li Bi's plans, because today is not only about saving the people of Chang'an, it's about protecting all of the Tang Dynasty. Today's festivities include dignitaries from all over the world. If they saw weakness within the Tang Dynasty, then that would give them ample reason to start attacking Tang borders. That will mean years of turmoil and conflict for many civilians. Li Bi doesn't agree, though. If they back down today, they will back down on everything. How will they envision a future if ultimately they do nothing about it? Li Bi sternly gets up and leaves to seek help from General Guo instead. As Li Bi was having this heated discussion with Director He, a hooded and masked figure listens outside the room. We don't have to wait too long to figure out who it is because the next thing we know is that Li Bi is lying flat on the ground in a secluded room. Evidently, Someone knocked him out. Inside the room, there are also many other bodies, seemingly of servants of the property. An old servant who was outside earlier when Li Bi entered the residence is severely injured, but manages to tell Li Bi that all of this was orchestrated by He Fu, who in reality is not a fool. That pill that Li Bi ate earlier was used to make him weak and ultimately faint. He Fu, as told by this mortally wounded old man, is actually the son of an official whose entire family was killed by none other than the right chancellor. He Fu has been planning to use the crouching firebombs to enact his revenge on the right chancellor for some time now. Sadly, before the old man could say any more, the hooded figure comes into the room. Li Bi promptly lies back down and does something to feign death. And good thing because the hooded figure smashes the old man several times, killing him to prevent him from saying anything further. The hooded figure, He Fu. He doesn't do anything to Li Bi because I think he believes that Li Bi is dead. Uh, and we hear He Fu exhaling that finally. After 10 years, he is able to enact his revenge. Li Bi manages to escape after He Fu leaves and rides off with a stolen horse. We will see what becomes of him in the next episode after hearing this crucial piece of information. In the next episode, we will see how Zhang Xiaojing and company manage to escape from their current predicament and what the next steps are for them and Li Bi. That was a thrilling episode after episode 17's kind of like more 
mellow episode. So today, though, we also have a few topics to discuss on history. First and foremost, let's discuss a little bit more about Yao Rulnung and his history. In the drama, he keeps on talking about how his great-grandfather was a great politician and contributor to the Tang Dynasty. So who is he talking about? It's Yao Chong. This man lived from 650 to 721 and served as chancellor for four emperors, including under the reign of the only female emperor of China, Wu Zetian. Yao Chong entered into politics in his 20s as an attendant to the then crown prince Li Hong. However, it was during the reign of Emperor Wu Zetian in 696 when Yao Chong impressed the emperor with his handling of paperwork during a Khitan invasion that propelled his career. Yao Chong was then promoted to de facto chancellor in 698. He then served the reigns of Tang Zhongzong, Tang Ruizong, and Tang Xuanzong as chancellor. He had an illustrious career and cleverly was able to avoid betting on the wrong horse. If you read up on that period of Tang Dynasty history, it got really bloody if you supported the wrong person to become emperor. However, Yao Chong's legacy was tarnished during his later years, especially with the dealings from his sons. His sons, Yao Yi and Yao Yi, sought bribes in the capital city. One of Yao Chong's associates, Zhao Hui, was also caught accepting bribes from foreigners, which is a crime punishable by death. Yao Chong tried to save the three of them, and Zhao Hui, instead of being sentenced to death, was sentenced to exile instead. Because of these events, though, Yao Chong finally retired in 716. In the drama, Yao Rulong is the great-grandson of Yao Chong, and everyone disparages him due to his grandfather's actions for bribery, and that's what Yao Rulong in this entire drama is trying to clear. We will actually discuss a little bit more about what Yao Rulong's father also tried to do. So we haven't talked about Yao Rulong's father yet, Yao Yi and Yao Yi were his grandfather's um, generation, and then Yao Chong was his great-grandfather's generation. We will talk about what his father also tried to do. Just a note, in the drama, Yao Rulong is the great-grandson of Yao Chong, but in history, there's no clear relation. For purposes of this drama, the author just linked these two Yao families together. That hopefully clarifies all of the discussion in this episode of why Yao Zhulong is more cowardly or doesn't want to stick his neck out as much as Tan Qi thinks he should, or at least Tan Qi is like, you know what, it's fine if you don't want to because I understand where your reservations are. But for me, for some reason, in this episode, thinking about Yao Zhulong, I am reminded of Yao from the Disney movie Mulan. They don't look anything alike, but I don't know. It's just funny, this connection. Let's now turn to Tan Qi. Finally, we get to see our girl Tan Qi in proper Tang Dynasty women's attire. And what a sight at that. She looks absolutely resplendent. Let's talk a little bit about her whole costume and makeup. During the Tang Dynasty, what was in vogue was to have a very pale face. 
so the foundation was of a chalky white color. The makeup artist in the behind the scenes videos shared that it took about one hour just to put on the white foundation for all of the ladies in the drama. During the Tang Dynasty, the order of applying makeup was as followed. Fu Qian Fen, Mo Yan Zhi, Hua Dai Mei, Tie Hua Dian, Miao Xie Hong, Tu Chun Zhi. Or, first it's to apply the white base or skin whitener, then blush, then draw the eyebrows, then add the flower petals, and apply a side shape if wanted, and then finally apply lipstick. The white base or foundation has been used for thousands of years in China. The blush is applied very liberally along the cheekbones, so much so that it almost seems as though half the face has blush applied. The hua dian or flower petals are either drawn on or kind of like a temporary tattoo applied on the forehead. In the drama, the whole getup takes between three to four hours for each lady to look this beautifully done up, depending on how difficult the makeup is for the actress. Let's then turn our attention to Tan Qi. For her flower petals on her forehead, it looks like lotus flowers. What's interesting is that she also has two side dots on her dimples called mian yan. Originally, these two dimples were used by ladies in the palace to indicate that they had their period and so could not sleep with the emperor. This practice then made it to the masses, but the original purpose was discarded. Ladies then just chose to decorate their face with shapes such as stars, crescent moons, etc. because it looks pretty. Looking at her hair, she has a cha shu, which is a smaller golden comb placed on top of her head. She has four golden hairpins inserted into the sides of her hair. On the back of her head is a large flower that was also customary of the time. Han Qi is wearing a qi xiong ru qun or a chest high ru qun. The colors are interesting with the mix of the orange, red, and green. Honestly, they remind me of many uncovered Tang Dynasty artifacts because they typically used these three colors. I couldn't find any reason for these colors in her outfit, but at least that's what I think might be an inspiration. To close everything out, Tan Qi also has the Pibo or the silk shawl, and on her chest is a pearl necklace. I absolutely love her look, and I'm sad that we only see it for a brief period of time as she's generally in more men's fashions, but we shall enjoy it while we have it on screen. Next, as a quick reminder for a poem that we discussed way back in episode one, when we are in director He's residence with him and Li Bi, there's a folding panel in the background with calligraphy that has the lines it's from a poem written by He Zhizhang called Tai He. That poem was praising the might, splendor, and beauty of the Tang Empire. But so far, we've been seeing it slowly crumble. I feel like this poem here really is a theme of this whole drama and the crumbling of this empire. 
And this is why every single time I see kind of this folding panel, I am always interested to see that it is shown very prominently in the background of director Hu's residence. Lastly, let's talk about menzi or visiting cards. To enter into the palace or a notable house, one had to have his or her name on a list. If you are not on the list or try to enter the palace, you would be punished. This was recorded as a practice as early as the Han Dynasty in the 2nd century BC and was used until the Tang Dynasty, which is where we are now. The reason why we bring this up is because without the Menzi, Panzi and Yarunong really couldn't enter into the right cavalry headquarters. And that's why they had to use the whole, oh, we're working for the right chancellor ruse to get in. Honestly, I feel like the Menzi reminds me a lot of calling cards or visiting cards that we see in British shows. Not exactly the same, but basically you just need to be on this register or the guest list to enter a premise. Let's close out today's episode with a couple of changes from the book. Yao Zhuneng in the book is less crafty or you could say cowardly than Yao Zhuneng in the drama because all this discussion about Yao Zhuneng's Yao Chong connection is not there. Instead, in the book, Yao Zhuneng is quite eager to rescue Zhang Xiaojing. He is also the one to step forward first at the headquarters of the Red Cavalry. As for the Jade Flower Pendant, the book describes this as a pendant for the Li family members, and so this one was specifically borrowed from the Crown Prince in the book. In the book, the right chancellor's last name was also Li, or the real-life character is Li Linfu, not Lin Jiulang, so it doesn't work as well in the drama, but it did work in the book. Thus, in the drama, Panti almost let slip that this was related to another case. And in the book, Tan Qi is here on request of Li Bi. There is not as much of a personal wish to be here. That's not really the case in the drama where she certainly has more uh, complicated feelings towards Zhang Xiaoqi. As for Li Bi's visit to director He, in the book, he did indeed visit, but he was not poisoned and there was not that interlude with He Fu. That is a major deviation in the book versus the drama. And in the book, what happened was Tan Qi and Yao Zhuneng were waiting in the wings to see what Li Bi could do if Li Bi could get director He to save Zhang Xiaojing, then they would need to act. But they got news from one of the watchtowers that Li Bi failed to get help from director He, and so they had to enact plan B or prison break. And that closes out our discussion of episode 18 of The Longest Day in Chang'an. The music for this episode is Qingpingyue, played by Karen, with sheet music by Cui Jianghui. If you're looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., head over to our sponsor, Jubao TV. That's J-U-B-A-O TV. It's a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. They've launched on Sling TV, and you can stream it through the website Jumo, the platform Plex, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. Again, all of this is free. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you all in the next podcast episode.